you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 4. We'll get there in a minute. While you're turning there, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been tempted? We could all raise our hands, could we not? Every single person who's ever walked the face of this planet has been tempted. Rich people, poor people, black people, white people. All of us have been tempted in one way or another. Your mom has been tempted. Your dad has been tempted. Your grandma's been tempted. Grandpa's been tempted. Every single person who has ever lived has been tempted. Sometimes it's in the big things, and sometimes it's in the little things. Heard about a guy that went on a diet and did really well for about three days. But on the fourth day, he walks into the office, and he's got a box of a dozen donuts. Somebody asked him, what happened? He said, well, you'll never believe it. But I was driving to work today, and while I was driving to work, I happened to drive by Dave's Donut Shop. And oh, how I love donuts. And I began to pray as I was approaching the shop there. I said, Lord, if you want me to have some donuts today, would you please have a parking space open right there in front of Dave's Donut Shop? And sure enough, the sixth time around the block, there was a parking space open. Sometimes we rationalize our temptations. And no one is above temptation. I once heard about a pastor who parked his car in a no-parking zone. He had headed up to a meeting in a, a big city, and he tried to find a good parking space. He just couldn't find one. And so finally, he parks in a no-parking zone. He puts a note on his windshield that says... I've circled this block 10 times. I cannot find a parking space. If I don't park here, I'll be late for my meeting. Forgive us our trespasses. Well, about two hours later, he comes out of the meeting, and he sees another note attached to ears. If I don't give you a parking ticket... I'll lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. If I don't give you a parking ticket, I'll lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. Today we're going to talk about temptation because everybody is tempted. But here's the good news. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean you have to give in to it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There is no temptation that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it, that you may be able to escape the temptation, that you may be victorious over it. Sometimes... We foolishly put ourselves into the middle of temptation. Someone has a problem drinking, but they keep beer in the refrigerator. Or they like to go to parties where the alcohol is flowing. 
some people, when they hang around with certain people, they tend to get themselves into trouble and they fall into sin. And yet they continue to hang out with those people anyway. Not a good idea. Our desire is to avoid temptation, not see how close we can come to it. Imagine that this stage has a hundred foot drop off straight down to the ground. How many of you think it would be wise for me to stand here like this with my feet over the edge? Some of you think it's not a very good idea even now, right? How many think it would be a good idea for me to walk on this like I'm on a balance beam right on this board here? Probably not a good idea if that's a hundred foot drop off down. Why? Because if I fall to the ground, I'm going to die. It's going to hurt really badly for about a half a second. But it's not going to be good, is it not? So rather than getting as close as I can to the temptation, I stay away from the temptation. I stay away from the possibility we would in life of sin. Now, we all blow it sometimes, do we not? In fact, the Bible says that every single person who's ever walked the face of this planet has sinned. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a sinner. Some of you are afraid to say that to the person next to you. Some of you are like, yeah, I couldn't wait to say that. We all sinned, right? In fact, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all, say the Lord all of me, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means I've sinned, you've sinned. Every single person who has ever lived other than Jesus Christ has sinned. Romans 3.10 says there is none. Say the word none with me. None. There is none righteous, not even one. I can't be right with God in my own power, and neither can you. We can only be right with God by the power of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness that came from the cross. But here's the good news. Even when you blow it, even when you fail, there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The 103rd Psalm says, if I give my sin to God, he takes it and removes it as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against me. Now, that doesn't mean we just want to keep falling off the cliff and falling off the cliff and falling off the cliff. Stay away from the edge of the cliff. Stay away, when possible, from temptation. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Jesus prayed in his model prayer. He taught the disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That does not mean that we have to live life walking around on eggshells, afraid we're going to blow it, afraid we're going to mess up. doesn't mean when we put blinders on or that we walk around with our eyes closed. You know, in Jesus' day, they had several groups of Pharisees. And one of those groups of Pharisees was known as the bleeding Pharisees or the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. Some call them the, the bloody-nosed Pharisees. And the reason why they were called that is because when they saw a woman, they wanted to make sure they did not look at that woman lustfully. So do you know what they did? They closed their eyes and they continued walking. 
How many of you think that's a really good idea? They would bump into walls. They would bump into doorways. They would bump into houses and buildings and so bloody noses and bruised bodies. And uh, so they were called, probably mockingly, the bloody nose or the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. Now, I love the Amish. How about you? I think the Amish are great people. And I had Amish people put cabinets in our house and amazing people. I love the Amish. I think they're genuine people of faith. But I also think the Amish have it wrong. I don't think God has called us to isolate ourselves from the world. I believe God has called us to be out there in the world so that we can be influencers of the world. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But in order for salt to have influence on something, it has to be in contact with it. Sometimes God may lead you into a place of temptation. It might be at work. It could be at school. It might be joining a club or being on a a ball team. It might be me in the marching band. It might be when you go off to college. It might be when you start a new career, but you find yourself in a place where you are in the middle of temptation, and you know this is where God wants you to be, and yet there is temptation all around you. We are surrounded by a world desperately in need of Jesus Christ, and our goal is not total isolation. Our goal is God-infused, Holy Spirit-empowered penetration. Amen? During the last several weeks, Tree Acres has led us in that, we've done some prayer walking in our community. And some of you have participated, and I really appreciate that. Two weeks from now, we're going to stay after church, and we're going to have a little meal. And I want to encourage all of you to join us as we not only prayer walk in the neighborhood behind us, but we are going to knock on doors, and we're going to take prayer requests. We're going to ask people how we can pray for them. We might pray for some of them on the spot if they want that. Many of them will take those prayer requests back to us and we'll continue to pray with them, uh, for them. And others will perhaps follow up with them later. I've enlisted Daniel Duda, young man many of you know, played the bass this morning, to lead us in evangelism and outreach to the neighborhoods around us. Because somehow, some way, we've got to reach out to the world that needs Jesus Christ. And so there'll be other opportunities to participate in those things as well. Here in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is actually being led by God into a place of temptation. Start in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, If you want to handle temptation correctly, you need God's power. You can't do this in your own strength, but you can handle temptation in the power of God. Jesus was completely God, but he is also completely man. Just as much God as though he had never left heaven. He became just as much man as though he had never been there. Verse 1 continues. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. James 1.3 reminds us that God is never the source of temptation. 
but he often allows it, and he can use it for his own purposes. The idea here in verse 2 is that the temptation was ongoing during that 40 days, but here in Luke chapter 4, we see the culmination of it. Here the temptation reaches its greatest pull. Satan sees this as his opportunity. Luke tells us that Jesus ate nothing for 40 days, and so he was hungry. I don't know about you, but I've never gone without food for 40 days. Imagine how hungry Jesus must have been. Don't forget that he's fully God, but he's also fully human. He's gone 40 days without food. Verse 3, the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, the idea here is since you are the son of God, the devil knows who Jesus is. So he says to Jesus, since you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, the greatest temptation for Jesus probably didn't come from hunger here, although the hunger is real. The greatest temptation may have come from the opportunity to show the world his power or to use God's power for his own selfish means. People still do that today. Pastors preach sermons. And after the sermon is over, people tell them, that was amazing. Now, I don't hear that a lot, but some people do, okay? Or, or some pastors, they go to small churches and they lead that church to reach people and they grow and they grow and they grow and they become these huge mega churches. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when that happens, sometimes people will say, Pastor, you are amazing. And the pastor's not careful. He starts to think, you know what? I kind of think I really am. And they start demanding things like million-dollar salaries. And they insist on living in multi-million-dollar mansions. And they drive the finest cars. And they start treating the people who are around them as though they're servants for them, working for them. And they start bossing people around instead of serving the people that God has called them to serve. It doesn't just happen to pastors. It can happen to business leaders in government leaders, and community leaders. It can happen to anybody. It can happen to you. And so when God starts using you and great things start happening through you, don't believe your own press and say, you know what, I guess I really am amazing. No, 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 no. You serve an amazing God, do you not? You serve a God who's able to do more than you can ask or think or even imagine. And if great things start happening through you, it's not often because of you, it's because of him, right? If God didn't give you the ability to get out of bed in the morning, you couldn't even get up and go to work. If God didn't give you the ability to think and to do stuff, you couldn't do anything apart from God's blessing on your life. Amen? Here in verse 4, Jesus answers the devil with Scripture. It is written, Man shall not live, by bread alone. Jesus is not saying that bread is bad. He's not saying it's bad to have food or clothes or cars or, or houses or any of the other necessities of life. It's not wrong to have stuff. The problem is when the stuff has you. It's not bad to have a successful career, but when you start believing your own press or you get too busy for God, watch out. You've fallen into temptation. Verse 5. And the devil took Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He said to him, to you I'll give 
all this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Now, there's a fair amount of debate about whether the devil actually had the power, the ability to give Jesus the world. After all, God is the God of the universe, is he not? He is all-powerful. He did create everything. He does know everything. He can do anything. Satan is none of those things. At the same time, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 tells us that Satan is the God of this world. In John 12, 31, Jesus said, Satan is the ruler of this world. How do you put that together? Well, I think most of us would agree that the devil is a major influencer in our world today. Would you not? We see that in movies. We see that in the media. We see that in music. We see that in television. How many of you are old enough to remember that the staple-type shows on television were like, Leave it to Beaver, Andy Griffith, I Love Lucy, right? Have you noticed the stuff we have on TV today? Not exactly the same, is it? And that the culture is influenced by many ways by our enemy, the devil. And he is influencing people and he's causing people to continue to believe that the stuff out there in the world that he's promoting is right. Some of you can probably remember when we wouldn't even say anything about a man and man being together in polite company, right? The word gay used to mean happy, right? You know, years ago, it was wrong in our world for a man and a woman to live together outside of marriage. Now it's the norm, is it not? Now let me quickly say this. As Christians, we're commanded to love everybody, okay? Say everybody with me. Everybody. And I don't care if two men come walking into those doorways holding hands. We're going to love those people. I don't care if two women are sitting side by side with their arms around another. We're going to love those people because they need Jesus. If not for the grace of God, that could be you there. But we're not going to give in to the culture of the world and say, you know what, it's okay, everybody's doing it, there's nothing wrong with it, because that's what society is teaching. And if you're a Christian, living for Jesus is like walking into an almost hurricane-force wind. You are going in the direction of God, but the world is pushing back against you, and they will push you back into a corner if you not continue to walk with God. How many of you ever tried to paddle a canoe upstream? It's not easy to do, is it? It takes a lot of effort, a lot of work, a lot of challenge in doing that. Well, if we're going to live for Jesus Christ in our culture today, it's not going to be easy. But here's the good news. You have the power to do so through Jesus Christ, your Lord. See, the Bible says in Romans 8, 37, that you're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Do you believe that? 
The Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 4, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and following says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against all the schemes, all the wiles, all the tricks of our enemy, the devil. James 4, 7, and 8 says, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he shall flee from you. God gives us victory and power over the enemy. Now let me say again, we love people. No matter what their background, no matter what their situation, no matter what your situation is today. I don't know everybody in this room. I don't know your issues, your problems, your struggles, your sin. But I do know this, God loves you. And Jesus died for you. And he wants to have a personal relationship with you that will change your life. As a people of God, we love you as well. And you are welcome to come here and meet with us for worship because Jesus Christ loves you. And so do we. Amen? God has allowed Satan to have tremendous influence in this world for now. But one of these days... When Jesus returns, he's going to come back as king of kings and lord of lords, is he not? One day when Jesus returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Will they not? One of these days, Jesus is going to take Satan and he's going to throw him into hell and throw away the key. One of these days, Satan's influence will be no more. But that time hasn't come yet. First, there had to be the rejection of Jesus. He would have to be nailed to a cross for the sins of the world. And and Satan was offering Jesus a shortcut. Jesus, if you will just bow down and worship me, you can have all the kingdoms of the world right now. And Jesus said, I'm not doing that. Verse 8, Jesus answered him, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Here's the question. Who are you serving? I love what Joshua said back in the Old Testament. He says, as for me and my house, here's what we're going to do. We're going to serve the Lord. Jesus said here in verse 8, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. We find temptation. Number three, starting verse 9. And he, that's the devil, took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. What might be most interesting about this temptation is the devil is using scripture to tempt the Lord Jesus. Satan will twist the Bible to say what he wants to say. Did you know that? When you read the Bible, I encourage you to look at the context What did God mean when he said it to the people to begin with? Perhaps you've heard about the guy who's trying to find God's will for his life. And he uh, closed the Bible. He opened it up. He put his finger down, and it said, and Judas went out and hanged himself. So that's not a very good idea. Let me uh, close my Bible again. And he opens it up again. And it says, go and do thou likewise. He thought, well, that's not a very good idea. Closed his Bible, opened it up again, and said, oh, what thou doest, do quickly. Well, that's not a good way to find out God's will for your life. You need to look at what Scripture says in context there. 
and then apply it to your life today. And you've got to have the right motive. We don't just reach and grab for scriptures to make life easier and, and, and better in the way the world sees better, but we try to find the purpose and the will and the plan of God. All three times, Jesus uses scripture to answer the devil. Scripture is such an important tool in dealing with our enemy, the devil. David said, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. Jesus, the very son of God, God in human flesh, used scripture to defeat the devil, and so should we. But if we're going to use scripture, we got to know scripture, okay? It's not enough to say, well, I think the Bible might say something about that, but I don't know what it says, and I don't know where it's found. Then we didn't know what the Bible says because you're not always going to have an hour to go find something in the Bible. Sometimes you have to know it right on the spot. And as you know the Scripture, you can think about the Scriptures Every single moment of the day, you're filling your heart and your mind and your thoughts about God and about his word, and it helps you to be strong as you serve the Lord. Verse 12, and Jesus answered the devil. It said, you shall not put the Lord, your God, to the test. The temptation here was to test God. Okay, if you're really God, Jesus, here's what I want you to do. So the enemy, the devil, has taken Jesus up to the pinnacle, the highest point of the temple. And scholars tell us that not only was it the highest point of the temple, but also looked down on a deep valley below, as much as perhaps 400 feet down. People could get dizzy even looking down there. And, and Satan somehow, perhaps literally, perhaps not, but he takes Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple to see the kingdoms of the world. He says, if you're really God... Just jump off. And God has commanded his angels, they will keep you from falling and getting hurt and getting killed. And Jesus said, we're not going to go there. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. Don't put him to the test. The temptation was to test God. If you're really God, you can jump off and you won't be hurt. Jesus said, we're not going to do something foolish there doesn't matter whether God the Father would save me or not. That's testing God. We're not doing that. You don't want to do that in your own life either. You don't want to go stand off a, a cliff and put your feet way over the edge and say, you know what, it's my time to go. It's my time to go. You don't want to run out in front of traffic on the Dixie Highway and say, you know what, God's going to protect me because if it's my time to go, it's my time to go, and it doesn't really matter. No, you want to live your life wisely. Say wisely with me wisely. We don't want to live foolishly. We want to live wisely before God. Verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. The devil was through for a little while, but he would return. And I believe the greatest temptation for Jesus probably came in the garden. Think about it. Jesus is there in the garden just hours before he would be arrested he would be given a mockery of a trial. He would be beaten time after time after time with whips. They would rip the flesh off of his back. They'd shove a crown of thorns on his head, and they would nail him to the cross. And on top of the excruciatingly agonizing pain, Jesus would bear something, I believe, that was even greater, as he would bear the weight of the sins of of the world. And Jesus would have to do that alone. 
without Peter, without James, without John, without any of the disciples. He would have to do it without his heavenly father. And they have never been separated from eternity past. And yet Jesus Christ would have to go to the cross alone. And he cries out to his heavenly father, Father, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass from me. He's agonizing, sweating great drops of blood, perhaps, literally. He's agonizing before the Father. Yet he says, not my will, but thine be done. Thank God Jesus Christ did not give into the temptation to avoid the cross that Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross for you, that you might have a personal relationship with him that changes your life and one day you might be with him forever and ever in an amazing place called heaven where there's no more sickness and there's no more sadness, there's no more tragedy, there's no more school shootings, there's no more pain. All will be perfect there. But the devil is still working in our world. Did you know that? How many believe the devil is real? Absolutely. He is a real, personal being. He's a fallen angel. He's powerful. He's more powerful than anybody in this room. He's more powerful than all of us put together. And he's smarter than you are. He's more clever than you are. 1 Peter 5, 8 says he roams about the world like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he would love to devour you. He'd love to devour your family. He'd love to devour this church. Praise God. As powerful as the devil may be, he is no match for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And if you've never given your life to Christ, I encourage you, I challenge you to give your life to Jesus. And some of you might say, well, why would I want to live for Jesus? I mean, he's going to take away all my fun. After all, I like to party, right? Yeah. Go out, have a good time, get drunk. Let me ask you a question. What's so fun about getting drunk? You go home, a few hours later, you go find the commode and like, Bleh. I don't know from experience, but I'm just telling you. Next day you get up, you got a horrible headache. What is so fun about that? But you see, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the creator of life. He's the one that designed you. The Bible says that God knit you together in your mother's womb, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's never made a mistake. He's never had a problem saying, I don't know if I can figure that one out, Terry. He knows everything. He can do anything. And he designed you the way that you are. He knows exactly the best way to live. And he loves you more than anyone else in this world has the capacity to love you. Why would you not want to partner with him? 
Why would you not want to give him your life when he knows everything? He can do anything, and he loves you more than you have the capacity to love. It only makes sense, does it not? I know you might miss out on a few parties. I know you might miss out on some friends. But you know what? That's nothing compared to knowing Christ. Jesus said that I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You might have life to the full. He's not here to steal away all your fun. He's here to infuse you with his joy. Say joy with me. Joy with his love, with his power for living moment by moment and day by day. You don't have to live in defeat. You can live in power by the grace of God through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? He came that you might have life and have it to the full. But perhaps some of you in this room today, I don't know who, but perhaps some of you today may not really understand what it means to give your life to Christ, to be a follower of his. Well, it's really simple and yet so amazing. We can't begin to describe it. But the Bible says that God loves you so much He was willing to send Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, to come to this earth and die on the cross for your sin. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He later ascended into heaven, and one day he's coming back again. And the Bible says that if you will give your life to Jesus Christ, he will give you life, eternal life, abundant life, everlasting life, and he will give you direction, he will give you power, he'll give you grace and guidance for living, moment by moment and day by day, starting right here and now. If you've never received Christ as Savior and Lord, I plead with you. If it would help, I would get down on my knees and I would crawl to you and I would beg you to give your life to Christ today because it is by far the most important decision you can ever make is to know that you know Christ as Savior and Lord. And if you do know Christ as Savior and Lord, I would encourage you to follow him. With every fiber of your being, live your life as though you believe every word in this book is true, as though you believe everything that Jesus said is correct. What else are you going to do? Follow Christ all of your heart and all of your life. He knows what he's doing. He will never lead you astray. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will empower you for living if your trust is in him. That doesn't mean life will be easy. It doesn't mean you'll never have another problem, another issue, another need. But what it does mean is that he'll be there with you, guiding you along the way and giving you hope and direction for living. Why would you not want to follow a God who's offering all of that and more to you today?